I love how uh, Paul ends his letter. He's like, like so that you'll know what's what, what's happening to me. I'm sending you this guy named I think it's Tychicus or um and and I imagine when I read that I imagine this guy like in a long robe with a beard. I don't know why, but everybody back in the days had long robes and a beard, like uh, Nathan. Tychicus looked like Nathan, right? Imagine Nathan with a long robe. And then he was, he was like going to Ephesus with this letter from Paul uh, written to the churches. And he carried it. And he, I can just imagine this dude just like going to church and church and just reading this letter. Imagine just uh, you know, him standing before a congregation of people uh, gathered and just reading this letter to them. Um, just When I think about it, like it, it, take, it, it brings the gospel and the reality of the gospel into my mind. This was real people. Like, uh, it was a real man named Tychicus. Tychicus, or however you pronounce his name, that uh, lived and existed and, and handed this letter to him. And he probably copied it many times. And other people, as he was reading it, people probably like were trying to copy down what he had said you know, so that they can preserve it and hold on to it. And that's how it was actually passed down to, to the generations. And we have it today. That these are the words of the Apostle Paul as he has sent it to the, the Ephesians. And this is our, our last uh, sermon from the book of Ephesians. I've really enjoyed preaching out of Ephesians. It's such a Going back to the, the the center of the gospel, the center of just our relationship with Christ and how that works and how the gospel is supposed to be truly implemented into our lives. Not something that just we just just think about. Like we don't just think about the gospel, but it's actually so much of what we live and how we live and and and, and our identity of who we are is all wrapped up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last week I talked about the schemes of the devil. The devil is real. We have an enemy. We have an opponent. We have somebody that's out. To kill, steal, and destroy us. Right? The Bible says that the, the the enemy comes to kill, he comes to steal, and he comes to destroy. Right? And and he is constantly scheming to get us off of this firm foundation that we have in Christ, and 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 down a path that leads to sin and destruction. Now this doesn't mean that we should be afraid of the devil. Right? When when I preached this last week, I didn't mean for you guys to be like, oh, then. I need, I need to be afraid of the devil. We don't have to be afraid of the devil, right? Because Jesus Christ, he defeated the devil, right? On the cross, he defeated the devil. The, the devil actually has no power over us, right? But we can't at the same time underestimate or undermine the works of the, of the devil because he's out there to try to stumble us, to falter us, to make us, you know, go down a path that we're not supposed to. And last week, we saw that the devil, his, his principal way that he attacks us is that he's a liar, the devil is a liar. And he's a father of lies. Everything that he does stems from lies. Even the truth he takes, he'll twist it and he'll turn it into a lie, like a diabolical lie. And he, he really doesn't fight fair. Right? He doesn't. Now, the devil's tactics, they can look like he can tempt us in, in repeated temptations. He can tempt us to delay our obedience to God. Right? Like, have you ever God told you straight up, like, do this. You know it's from the Lord, but you're like, was that you, God? And you start thinking, like, oh, maybe I should do it next week, you know? You know, like that temptation that we have of not obeying the Lord right away, right? That's actually a lie of the enemy. When God says obey, right, we're supposed to obey. And the more we delay, we're actually listening to the lies and the schemes of the, of, of the enemy. Um, we, we put the, he'll put doubt in our minds about God. Like, am I really saved? He'll put doubt in our minds about, like, oh, am I, am I really a, a believer? Do I really believe in the Lord? And, and we, it makes us doubt our salvation. You know, we, we struggle. Uh, like, we, we, all of a sudden, we haven't struggled with something for years or, or never in our lives. And all of a sudden, we turn like a certain age or something happens, and all of a sudden, we're struggling with this aspect of sin in our lives. And he will use lies to discourage us, make God look like a punisher, like he's mad at us, make us feel like hopeless and, and want to give up. He would try to trivialize sin. That sin is not a big deal. Grace, God's grace is, is amazing. God's grace is there. He'll forgive you. Just do it, right? These are all of the, the, the many ways that he will try to come and, and scheme to make us fall into sin. Or he'll, or he'll put fear in our hearts. That's one of the major tactics of the devil. The devil right, will use lies to put fear in our hearts. When something happens and this, your heart just gets gripped by fear, for, and you know that it's an irrational fear, right? Like your boss says, "Can I talk to you later on today?" And you're like, right? And you're just like in your heart, you're like, oh, right? You know that that fear and anxiety is not from the Lord, right? 
Like, if you've been doing bad at your work, you know that you've been slacking off, and, like, you know that you've been, like, you know, like, you know, stealing from your work, or you've been, like, you know, taking long breaks that you're not supposed to, right? That, that fear might be justified, right? But you know those, like, irrational things? I used to get these things where, like, somebody would say something, and I'd just, like, it's not, it's not even a bad thing. It's just something in passing, and then a fear would grip my heart. And I, I remember, it, I was like, oh, that's not from the Lord. These are the things that the enemy will do to n- knock us off of our place of peace, or he'll, like, make us all puffed up with pride and make us feel like we're better than we are. Right? When we see somebody that's, like, you know, not there yet, we're like, oh, man, that person's just still a baby Christian, and I'm like this. And I, like, you know, I could do this. I could memorize this. I could do all that. It puffs us up with pride, and, and it, it gets us to, to, to live in a, li- a way or, or fall into a lie and fall into deception that will make us fall into sin. Now, I believe that Paul ends this letter. It says, like, the goal of the devil is to deceive us, right? And to, to knock us off of that firm foundation. Now, Paul, he ends this letter to the Ephesians with this battle cry. We, Molly read it very, very eloquently for us just now. But he ends this letter with this battle cry. He's like, put on the full armor of God, right? Because the church was most likely being persecuted back then, right? This is the time, this is like around 70-something A.D. where... You know, Jesus has been gone for a while. Paul's been doing his ministry. This is like the, 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 the beginning of his prison ministry where he actually gets taken to Rome and he's in prison. And, and the reason why he's in prison is because there's actually a persecution that's happening amongst all of the Christians. And so Paul it wants to, to establish in the Ephesians an understanding that they don't have to rely on the weapons of this world or the weapons of their flesh or the weapons of, of the, that the other people, the, the tactic that the other people have that are trying to persecute them and that give them, help them to realize that they're not defenseless. defenseless. They're not uh, you know, hopeless and, and helpless. They actually have an armor of God, an armor of the truth and the principles of God around us that's actually that to protect us and to actually for us to wage war against the enemy. And we as the saints, we can't rely on the weapons of this world or the weapons of the flesh to fight our battles. But we have to look to the armor of God, the ways of God to fend off the schemes of the enemy. Because there's a lot of weapons of the world. Right? There's a lot of weapons of the flesh. And the enemy will constantly try to make you grab one of these weapons, right? Will constantly make you grab a weapon of, of the flesh, right? Like manipulation. Right? Manipulation is something that the devil will constantly tempt you with. right? Because manipulation is demonic. Right? There is no like, redeemed, like, God-like version of manipulation. God never goes like, you know what? Hmm. How am I going to get Maxine to do what I want her to do? I shall manipulate her. You know, like, there is no manipulation that God does. This is completely opposite of what God does. So, so when we manipulate or when people are manipulative against us, it's actually a scheme of the enemy to knock us off of our, our defenses, make us feel like, you know, and make us feel controlled by, by certain things, right? You know, and, and, and parents will do that. And, and it's really not good for parents to be manipulative. Mina checks me all the time. I'll be like, if you do this, Ethan. And then she's like, you know, you're being manipulative to our kids. And I was like, oh, crap. You know, like, it happens all the time. But these are the, these are the schemes. These are the weapons of the flesh and weapons of the world. It's actually like a normal thing out in the world, in the corporate world, for everybody to be very manipulative. I remember I was working in this in the bank one time, and it was just like a circle of manipulation where the, the, the highest up would manipulate the next person down, and then that person would manipulate the next person down, and then that person would manipulate and intimidate the next person down. And all of a sudden, it would it fall on me, and I'm like, oh, like, like you know, and, and you can see it happening, you know. But it's normal in the world, but it should never be with the, with the saints, with the believers. Manipulation, things like that cannot be found amongst us, right? Intimidation is another one. If you ever get into a conflict and you want to intimidate someone into fearing you and relenting to you, you're in the flesh. And you are falling into the schemes of the devil's tactics. It doesn't matter even if you're right. You might be perfectly right in your logic and understanding. But if you're using intimidation, right, God will never intimidate somebody into believing in who he is. He gives us free will. He gives us the ability to choose free will. But when we fall into these things like manipulation and intimidation, we're actually falling into the, the schemes of the devil. He loves these weapons because when, when we're manipulative or when we're 
uh, you know, intimidating someone or, or, or it's being done to us, we're very unaware that it's happening. Right? And it's really easy for us to slip into these patterns and, and it cu- starts to destroy the relationships that we have. A perfect example of this is in parenting. Like, uh, as I say this, please don't judge me, right? But like when, when I talk with Ethan sometimes, right, and, and this is one of the problems that we have is he hates to pee when I tell him to pee. When I tell him, hey, I think you should go pee. And he's like, no, I don't want to pee. But I know he has to pee because he's been holding it for like hours. I tell him, like, can you pee? Can you go to the bathroom before we leave so that you don't tell me that you need to pee in the car? And he's like, no, I don't want to pee. And the other day, like he was going to his art lesson, and I remember telling him, like, hey, I think you need to go to the bathroom. And, he, and then he was, he was on the stool in our house, and he was sitting there. He's like, I don't have to pee. And I was like, I think you have to pee. And he's like, I, I don't have to pee. And then I was like, dude, can you go to the bathroom? And then I, and then I, can, I, I, I felt my voice get louder and louder. And, then, and I got to this point where I was just like, can you just pee when I tell you to pee and, like, listen to me? Because every time you do this, you, you end up with little pieces of pee in your underwear and then, like, and you tell me that you have to pee in the middle of the car, and we gotta like, you know, like stop or do something to get you. And I started yelling, and I remember his face went from a smile, slowly went to a, like this, and it went to this thing of fear, and he started to cry. And and then I gotta I, the the reason I say this is because at that moment I I felt this reverberation in my heart. I felt this thing in my heart, and what it was telling me was like, hey, like intimidate him into to doing what you what you want him to do. And, and, and I, I remember at that moment, I was just like, I, and he, he went pee, and then he, everything was fine. He like, you know, like, he was actually okay. And then afterwards, I was like, I was in the office, and I was looking at him, and I was like, hey, can you come here? And I apologized to him. Because I don't think we should ever be so full of ourselves that we can't apologize to our kids, right? And like, I, I never claim to be a great parent, and I, I, don't, I think at the same, I'm letting you know that I'm not perfect, and that I have you know, I have uh, issues with, you know, like, I'm not, Mina's a way better parent than me, but we should never get to a point in our lives where we, we think we know everything that we can't apologize to our kids. So I apologized to him. I was like, hey, sorry I yelled at you, right? I'm really sorry I, I yelled at you. And he was like, it's okay. And then he left. But at that moment, the reason why I bring that up is because as I was saying it, it was like slow motion, and my voice started to get louder. And as it started to get louder, I got this little tingling sensation in my heart, and it was telling me, hey, intimidate him to get him to do what you want him to do. And I was like, oh, that's not from the Lord. That is from the devil, right? And so many times these things happen to us where we don't, it doesn't feel like the enemy is like attacking us or like making us do things. But there will be these things in our heart. Like, like when we're driving and then somebody cuts us off and we, you know, or like when somebody says something and we get into a bad mood and we just like want to like stick it in their face. These are ways that the enemy will try to knock us off of our place of peace, our place of of, 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 you know, like our identity in Christ and fall into these tactics of the enemy. And, and we have to be on our guard. Paul tells us, be on guard because the devil, our adversary, is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And Peter tells us, be alert, be sober-minded because the devil is he's not playing. Right? He's out to just devour us. And Paul tells us to arm ourselves so arm ourselves with the armor of God, the full armor of God. And he brings to light six parts of the soldier of a uniform from back then. And back then, a Roman soldier, like if you have the thing, if you can put it up, a Roman soldier looked like this, right? Let's, let's just name him Maximus, right? I know he's no young Russell Crowe, but let's imagine his name is Maximus. And this is the, the armor that a Roman soldier, so when Paul is describing the armor of God, he's most likely describing this kind of armor. Because back then, the only soldiers that were around were the Roman soldiers, right? They were conquered by the Romans. There wasn't any, like, Hebrew soldiers. There were no Jewish soldiers. They were basically Roman soldiers that looked like this and had an armor like that, right? And, and he starts off with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, right? He starts off with the body armor, the part that protects the most vulnerable parts of our organs and, and our body. And, then, and he, he starts from this place of the belt of truth. Now, I did some research, and they say that the Roman soldier would have to put on his armor in, in the order that Paul describes it. And the order that he describes it first with the belt is that he would actually have to put on his belt first. But what Paul talks about here isn't necessarily like a belt that we wear. Like, you know, you guys all wear a belt. You know, I have a belt, um, and it kind of keeps our pants up. But what the belt that he's talking about actually is translated into 
uh, actually it reads more like the NASB. It says, girding of your, the loins, right? I don't know if you guys heard that word girding, right? But the actual translation in the Greek is having girded your loins with truth. Right? And so I did some research about what girding the, our loins is about. And it's actually a reference to Isaiah 11.5 where it says, Righteous shall be the belt of your waist and the faithfulness the belt of his loins, right? And girding of your loins was what soldiers did back there with their tunics. They would wear these long tunics, right? Like these like long kind of like dresses that you guys wore. But when they had to go to battle, they would gird their loins and they would like take their tunics and make two little like things on each side, right? Like a ribbon about you're about to tie a bow. They would put it between their legs and through the back and then they would bring it over and they would like cinch it into their belt and then they would tie it uh, with leather straps and they would secure it to their body so that their, their loins and they would have these little flaps that come down. Right, so this actually wouldn't be here. The, the, all of that tunic would have been wrapped up around his loins, and these things right here would come down to protect that general area of his body, right? Girding your loins was what the soldiers did to get ready, right? They would get ready, and they would be on alert as they girded their loins, right? And, and it was a way for a soldier to, be, to move quickly, to have agility, right, and to not trip over his tunic, and the belt was the centerpiece of the whole armor. The belt was actually, you had to put on the belt first because the body armor, like the, the breastplate and everything will all be fastened to this belt right, with these leather straps. And no matter what the soldier was do- doing, if his belt was fastened correctly and, and right, the rest of his armor would generally be in place. And Paul tells us to gird our loins with the truth. We have to be wet, ready with the truth of God. That has to be the first of our understanding. And that has to be the first thing that we stand on as we put on this armor is, is the truth of God. That, that God reveals through in his words the truth of who he is, who Christ is. Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. He is the truth, right? Jesus Christ, who he is, and, and, and the understanding of what he has done for us, the truth that he has for us has to be our the first thing that we that we stand on in our Christian walk. If you don't know the truth, right, then you're not you're not going to be free. Jesus said, "The truth will set you free." And the and the and the attack comes. The first thing that we need to prepare ourselves is with the truth of God. Without truth, we are lost. And so Paul tells us to gird our loins with the truth, the truth of God, not the truth based on what the world says is the truth. Because the world is constantly telling us, "Hey, this is the truth." You guys, saw, you guys heard the the, the the congressional hearing other day in America. Who saw that with uh, anybody? Yeah, they're 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 arguing about what the truth was. Right? This is the truth. This is. But ultimately, we have to understand that, that what we stand on can't be the truth that's coming up from the world. We have to stand on the truth of God. What does God say is the truth? What is what does He say is the is the is is the righteousness and the truth of His word? But what God tells us, what we are to, what we are first supposed to stand on is His truth. And not only are we to know and understand the truth, but we are called to speak the truth, to live a life of truth, speak the truth always, right? Live our lives in the truth, because tr- truth <coughs> protects us in the most vulnerable areas of our spirituality, our flesh, right? Our flesh is the most vulnerable area of our spirituality because the enemy pries upon our flesh. You know our fleshly nature? When Jesus talks about our flesh, when Paul talks about our flesh, he's not talking about like our skin, right? He's talking about our sinful, fleshly nature that is built into who we are. Right? When, when Adam and Eve fell, we, we, we inherited a sinful nature. right? And that nature, no matter how, what we do, no matter how sanctified we are, is going to still be there until God comes, until Jesus comes back. He, he we, we get glorified, and we're, at, we're actually made completely righteous right, in who he is when Jesus returns. But until that day, we're going to have this sinful, fleshly nature. And, and the truth protects us from our own sinful, truth, sinful nature. Thank you so much. It protects us because the enemy loves it when we expose our flesh. 
But you know, when you are in your flesh and when you're just like, I don't care. And like I sometimes I'll get into my flesh and Mina will say something and I'm just like, Arr! like I don't agree with what she said and it just my flesh kind of just comes up. My my fleshliness will like, ah, you, you need to just be quiet because you don't know anything. You know, like that's that's my flesh comes up with Mina all the time. And, and when that gets exposed, the enemy's like, Oh, man, I'm gonna attack that area of his heart right now because that, that when his flesh is exposed, I can actually like he can actually get me to start to lie and, and, and get me to do things. Like he'll lie to me and he'll get me to do things that I, I, I never wanted to do in the first place. Right? It's because my flesh is exposed. And it's symbolic. Us pr- protecting, like when he, this guy is girding his loins and he's protecting this area of his body, it's symbolic of him protecting, us protecting our flesh. Right? We do not want the enemy to attack and we're all like, Wallowing in our flesh, but but we are we need to be constantly, like, affirmed and standing on the truth of God, because if we're standing on the truth of God, right, our flesh is not exposed. If we're walking right with God and we're believing and constantly claiming the truth of what Jesus has said and what we are in Christ and the truth of God is established in our life, we our 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 fleshliness doesn't have an opportunity to expose itself. keeps us walking in the truth and it sets us free. Walking with Jesus sets us free from our fleshly nature. doesn't mean that it goes away. But you know what? Like If we're walking in the truth of God, if we truly believe and, and we're standing that God is real and He is for us and that, that the things that He's done for us are true and the identity that we have in Christ is true, it actually is going to hide that fleshly nature it's going to keep us from exposing it to the, to the schemes of the enemy. So we need to be established in God's truth first. That's the first thing that we put on as we put on the, the, the armor of God. The first thing we put on is we gird our loins with the truth. and we, So basically we protect, we put on this belt of truth. And, and, and we, 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 we stand on this truth. And we say that this truth is the beginning of my salvation. This truth is, the, is what I'm standing on. It's what Jesus has done for me, right? And the second thing he says is the breastplate of righteousness. And then Paul talks about this, this thing that gets placed on our chest, and it gets actually tied to the belt. So the, the, the belt, this, this fashion is kind of weird, but the, the belt gets put on first, and then the breastplate gets put on, and then it's like a corset where they kind of tie it in the back, and then it gets attached to the belt. It's secured to this belt with these leather straps. And so the, so the, the belt goes on first, and then the, the breastplate goes on next, and this description comes together. It says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And this metaphor goes hand in hand because the belt needed to be firmly in place for the breastplate to be fashioned. And this understanding of righteousness that we have has to first come from the truth that God speaks over us. Follow me here. Our righteousness isn't based on what we can do but the truth of what was done for us. And the righteousness that protects us from the works of the enemy isn't the righteousness that we can muster for ourselves, but the righteousness of Christ that is imputed upon us through the the gospel. Our righteousness is no match for the the schemes of of the enemy, but the righteousness of Christ protects our hearts. Remember, the truth came first. The truth tells us that we were bought with a price, that we belong to Jesus, right? That we are, we're, we, that we are redeemed and we are made right. We're made pure and, 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 and pre- like we're precious to God. These are the truth that we stand on. And it produces this in our, our righteousness that is not from us, but it's actually from God. There's a stamp of Jesus on our breastplate of righteousness. And it's not our righteousness. It's what Jesus Christ has imputed upon us. The enemy will lie about who we are, about what we've done, the sins and the fleshly nature of our being, all of the bad things that we may have done in our life. The enemy will lie to us, but Jesus places upon our chest his righteousness. Jesus gives us his righteousness. He's like, hey, whatever you can do, you can't save yourself, guys. <laughs> you, you could try to put, it's like trying to put a phone book on your chest to stop a bullet, right? It's not going to happen, right? But then he said, I'm going to give you this breastplate of righteousness and it has nothing to do with you it has everything to do with what I've done and this is going to protect you 
from the schemes of the devil. And our righteousness comes from Jesus. It's it's like it's, it's like like we have we're trying to block bullets with the phone books, and then Jesus is like, hey, I'm gonna give you this righteousness as a real bulletproof vest, and it can actually stop the bullets. That's what Jesus is telling us. But so many times we we we, we take off our breastplate of righteousness, and we start trying to put on like, like hard bind like leather folders, and I don't know like like something to cover our chest to protect us. We like you know. We go through the kitchen and toilet, whatever we can to cover our chest. But at the end of the day, it does nothing for us. What we need is the righteousness of Christ established over our hearts. And then he says, shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. These shoes right here don't look like much, but these are actually very advanced in technology. And and without proper shoes, we're not able to have a footing of a strong foundation, right? When you fight, I don't know if you've ever played football, but you need to have, like, you can't play football without cleats, right? Cleats have those little spikes at the bottom. Who plays soccer here? Anybody really like soccer or, or football, what it's called? Like, you need to have those little things to, like, grip the ground, right? And, and, and modern-day soldiers, they wear combat boots, these heavy, thick, leather thing that protects your feet and actually gives you these, this firm, like, traction on the ground that no matter what you're, what you're on, you're not going to slip and fall protects your feet and gives you traction. And you need to protect your feet. If you have messed up feet, you can't do the one thing that a soldier is called to do. A soldier is called to what? Stand. You don't lay down as a soldier. Like, let's go to battle. Come on. Like, well, soldiers have to stand, right? They need to take their place. long time ago, what a soldier did was, his whole purpose was to take ground. Right? I'm going to take ground for our side. If we started here, I want to I want to end up over there at the end of our fighting. Right? We want to take ground. In order for you to take it, you need to have a firm you need to have a firm foundation on the ground that you're walking on. Right? And some historians claim that one of the major reasons that the Roman military was victorious in battle was because of the footwear that they had. Right? They also had these weapons, but their footwear is that they they had these little spikes at the bottom of their shoes that would give them good traction, whether they were fighting on a hill or whether they're fighting on flat ground, or whether they're fighting on like, like, like gravel, it didn't matter because they would be able to grip the ground that they were on. And it gave them footing, no matter what kind of terrain that they were walking on. And when Paul mentions this as our armor, he attributes to our footwear the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's the peace that Christ gives to us when we're saved. And the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us a peace that truly gives us a firm foundation. It's a peace that the world cannot take away from us. And it's a peace that the world cannot give to us. And the peace that God gives us through his gospel is able to keep us alert to the schemes of the enemy. The devil can't surprise us. Or sneak up on us because we have a peace that no matter what the devil throws at us, we are victorious in Christ Jesus. You know that? No matter what schemes come against us, no matter what attacks come our way, we're able to stand firm and be ready because we have a peace that comes from what Christ has done on the cross for us. And when that peace really gets established into your heart, things can happen. Like You might lose your job. Somebody might get sick. Somebody might this and that, but you you're able to be like oh, like like the, the you know like when you kind of get knocked, but then your foundation, your feet are firmly planted, because you have a peace that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's based on what Christ has done, a peace that He's given to us. This peace I give you, peace I leave with you. As I leave, I'm going to give you a peace that the world's never going to be able to give you, and the world's never going to be able to take it away from you. Because it comes from me and what I've done for you. That's the peace that we stand on. And we see it in the life of Jesus. You know, in that time in the, in the, in the uh, Gospels where he's in the ship and, 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 there, and the storm comes and the disciples are like, Oh, help us, Jesus! We're going to die! you got to understand, these are fishermen, right? Fishermen spend their whole lives at sea, right? Peter, like, he was like a master, sh- like a sailor. 
Right? He's been out in the ocean. He's probably had rough seas, and he's like, oh, this is fine. So for them to like actually be screaming for their lives, like, help us, Jesus, we're about to die. We're going to drown, right? It means that this storm was pretty big. It probably was one of the bigger storms, and they probably haven't been out in the sea like this. And they've probably seen stories and heard stories of people that died in shipwrecks having, like, flipped over. And they're like, oh, we're about to drown. We're about to drown, Jesus. But what's Jesus doing? What's Jesus doing when Peter's like, Jesus, wake up. We're about to die. What's he doing? He's sleeping. He's sleeping. And then he doesn't, he doesn't wake up. and go like, what? We're, we're about to drown? Well, what's going on? No, come on. Like, like what we can we? No, Jesus wakes up. And he's like, oh, you have little faith. Like, you silly people. And he just calms the storm, right? And then what is it? Going back to sleep. Why? Because, like, there might have been, like, like waves and, and trouble outside, but in his heart, he had a peace. There was a, he had peace on the inside. It didn't matter what was happening on the outside. That's the type of peace that Jesus wants to give us. So no matter what's happening in the world around us, there's a peace that's in us that's going to help us to stand. Like, a, like the soldier, we stand. Like, my feet are good. We're standing. Right? And I might, I might get punched. I might get knocked over. But I'm going to be able to stand because the, 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 the feet, the shoes that I have is the gospel of peace. And the gospel transforms the way that we process our environment. We process our circumstances. We process the things that happen in our lives. If you know whatever situation that we're going through in our lives, we have shoes fitted with the gospel of peace and that peace is able to make help us to take our stand, to take place in battle, no matter what kind of terrain that we might be fighting in. Right? No matter what kind of, we might be on the side of a mountain, you know, we might be on like you know, the desert, we might be on gravel, we might be on sand, or we might be on grass, it doesn't matter, no matter what terrain that we're in, we have these shoes, the gospel of peace that keeps us standing firm. So he says, stand on the peace that comes from the gospel. And next it says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. A Roman soldier's shield would have been a large rectangular shield. It's kind of like this, but it would have been like a rectangle. It would have gone from chin to knee. I don't know if you, who's seen the movie Gladiator? Anybody like that movie? Remember that scene where the, 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 they're on their chariots and they're about to like, you know, they're attacking and then the, the, the slaves come out and... They, like, make this formation with the shields. I don't know if you remember that. And they, they, It was called a tortoise. It was actually a Roman formation. They would all line up with their shields, and they would hide behind the shield in a line in a square or a rectangle, and they would be able to defend whatever is coming because they're standing together with the shield. And, and Paul says to, that to take up the shield of faith to extinguish and, and, and defend the, the flaming darts of the enemy. We have to know that our faith in God is a shield around us. Psalm 28, 7, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. My heart leaps for joy and with song I praise Him. The shield of faith points to dependent living. The shield of faith means that we depend on God. Just like a soldier depends on his shield. He just puts up a shield and he knows that whatever is coming at us is going to just be able to block it because that shield is strong. His shield is right. right? If, if, if he's sitting on his shield, it's not going to happen. What's he going to do? He's just gonna... But he's putting, he's, he's, he's taking up, he's putting the shield in front of him and he knows he's confident that whatever arrows are coming at him, the shield is going to be able to break it off. And that's like our faith. Our faith is about dependent living. We live our lives dependent on God. He is our strength. He is our refuge. Our faith in Him shields us from the attacks of the enemy. Our confidence is from God. So when the flaming darts of the enemy come, we take up the shield of faith. We put our hope and our faith and our unwavering dependence on God. We know that the Lord is over all things and that He is in control. We put our faith on the fact that He is stronger than anyone out there. He is greater and bigger than any temptation and circumstance and attack, any obstacle that might come our way. He is greater, He is bigger, and He is on our side. We stand with our faith in God as our shield. We depend on Him. Psalm 18.2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield. And the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. That is our God. And it's about putting our faith and depending on Him. Knowing that He is greater, He is bigger. There's a shield around us. 
Our faith protects us. It cover us, covers us because we are depending on the most powerful one that ever was and ever will be. Because if he is for us, who can be against us, right? That's the shield of faith. When you truly have faith, and you know what? Faith is different for everybody. Some people are not have, able to have the type of faith that other people have. But God tells you in Romans, to the measure of faith that is given to you, right? God gives you the, the uh, right amount of faith for whatever circumstances are going to happen in your life. God says, for whatever measure of faith that is attributed to you, right? God gives us the faith. We just have to be able to block it. Like Jesus, he, he, he's... Like when, when those arrows come, like when there's attacks of the enemy, like, oh, you, you suck, Caleb, you're, you're, you're a bad dad. And, like, uh, you know, all these lies, like, you know, you treat your wife bad. Or, like, you know, like, like you know, you, you went to prison and all this, whatever things are coming. You just, like, Jesus is greater than all those lies. Right? You put up that shield of faith. Like, you know what? I'm dependent on a God that is greater than all those things. Right? It's dependent living. And we have to know that it really is a shield around us. And then... It says, the helmet of salvation. The helmet was there to protect the face and the head. The Roman soldier's helmet was considered one of the most advanced of his time. Actually, it had a chin strap. A lot of the helmets back then didn't have a chin strap. But inside it was made with soft leather, and it was attached to the steel, the metal, or the thing, and it actually protected the side, the back, and then would leave room for a little bit of the face to show. But it would actually protect the head very well. And just like the heart and the vital organs are important to us, it's also very important for us to protect the head. And when Paul tells us to put on the helmet of salvation, he's referring to our mind, our thinking, our thought life. Our thought life is very important, right? And the helmet of salvation refers to our assurance of salvation. Everybody say assurance of salvation. We need to have an assurance of salvation. And it comes from the Lord. And when we have the assurance of salvation, we're able to have a mind that is guarded against the works of the enemy. It protects our minds from fear. The enemy will use fear to try to get at us. But when we know that we are saved, that the love of God has saved and redeemed us from the pit, when we are fully convinced that neither life nor death, neither the angels or demons, neither the present nor the future or any powers, neither height nor death or Anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we're truly convinced of that right, in our minds, when that becomes our mindset, it guards against fear. It guards against hopelessness. It guards against anxiety, against the worries of this world, against worldliness, because we have a mind that is sure that there is a destiny that is greater than anything that this world can offer. And we have a Savior that is greater and stronger than anything that this world can throw at us. Death, where is your sting? We sing that song. It's in the Bible. Death, where is your sting? Right. The, the one thing, the, the worst thing that could happen for us in our life, right, has no power over us. Death has no power over us. We could die and we can see Jesus. That's the assurance of salvation. And when we have that, when we are able to really have that in our lives, it, it guards our mind from the lies of the enemy. The assurance that we have in Christ will guard our minds to the schemes of fear and anxiety, worldliness, all of these things. Oh, you, dude, you, you, what are you going to do? You need money. Jesus said that the birds of the air and the, and the lilies of the field, like they, like they, like, like they're, they, God gives them everything that they need, right? He's going to give us everything that we need. But then the worldliness is like, dude, you need to get a better job. You need to make more money. You need to save money. You're 33. You should have had like this much money in your bank by now. Come on. What's all of these things start to come into our minds, and all of a sudden we're just like, oh, dude, what am I doing? Man? What am I doing following Jesus? I gotta start to make money. Gotta... But then, but but what the assurance of salvation, this helmet of salvation, will actually guard our minds because we know that we have a destiny that is greater than whatever destiny that we can find. It brings in things into perspective. We know that there is a future for us. That is eternal blessedness with God. And that will radically change the way that we live our lives. Lastly, we are given the only true offensive weapon in our armor, and it is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Paul, Peter, Paul says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, the Romans didn't have those long, you know, like, 
And Lord of the Rings had those long swords. Like, like, right? They didn't have these long swords. They didn't have like a samurai sword that was like really skinny and long. They had a double-edged sword that was like this long. Right? It was actually considered one of the most like, like, like efficient weapons for battle. And and when it would be one of those, it'd be intended to. The purpose was to cut and to pierce through. They would hide behind their shields and they would cut and they would pierce through whatever was standing in front of them. And the Bible tells us that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is an offensive weapon. And I talked about it last week. We can't battle, we have to battle with the Word of God. When the enemy attacks, we can't just defend, defend, defend. We got to actually attack. We have to fight back, and we fight back with the Word of God. Jesus fought the devil, not just with his arm, like not with his arms or his abs, or, you know, he, he used the Word of God. He fought with the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is one, one that we use to not just fight the enemy, but we fight the flesh that is within us. It says it, it separates between bone and marrow, between spirit and soul. Like, like it's able to actually play, pierce our hearts into that one area that, that God really wants to, to, to expose and to heal and to bring light into. You know those things in your heart, those deep areas in your heart that you feel very insecure about, those things that you hide from all of the world, the only one knows is your thoughts. It's in your mind. You know that, in, that, that insecurity, whatever it is, that thing you did when I were young, and whatever it could be, right? It's hidden way in your heart, and the Word of God says that by the power of the Spirit, we're going to and, and pinpoint that thing and be able to bring life into it, to heal it. It's one that is, the Word of God is one that will, will fight, in our, fight against our fleshliness, against our soulishness, against the, the things that, that our sinful nature wants to produce in our lives. We fight the devil and all of his demonic influence and we fight our soulish, sinful nature with the Word of God, with the sword of the Spirit. That means we can't just have a Bible. That means we can't just read the Bible. But we have to allow the Word of God to come alive in our hearts. We can't, we can't just know the Word of God. And we just can't know what the Word says. But we have to live and do the Word of God. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the Word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. We are not just supposed to have the sword of the Spirit on our belt, but we're supposed to wield it. Right? You wield it. You put it in your hand and you use it. We're supposed to use the sword of the Spirit to not just attack the devil, but actually to expose and bring to light the things hidden in our hearts. The purpose of the Word of God isn't for us just to know it, and we're doing this Bible reading plan, and we're, we're reading a lot of the Bible, but the end result of all of this isn't for us to just know more of the Bible, but it's so that we do what the Bible says. I used this reference before, but it's like a soldier in battlefield. He has a sword, and he has it clipped to his belt, and when the enemy is coming at him, instead of using the sword, he starts to do taekwondo. Right? When he has a sword of the Spirit, in his belt. He needs to take it out and use it. And the best way that we can attack the enemy is for us to know the Word of God and do what it says. Because when we're living the Word of God, the enemy flees from us. You know that? When we're actually living out the Word of God, what the Bible tells us, and we're living it out in our lives. We're not just, just getting it into our head. We're not just reading it, but we're actually living it in every little area. The obedience, right? faithfulness and, and the things like love and gentleness and patience and, and when these things start to actually like like be activated in our lives and we are actually living our lives the way that the Bible tells us to live our lives is it's the greatest defense against the schemes of the enemy. Because the Bible says that resist the devil and he will flee from you. When you live your life according to the word of God, the devil flees from you. Because the, the devil knows the truth. You know that? The devil loves to lie and his whole point is to lie, but he knows the truth. He knows that he's defeated. He knows that there will be a time in the future where he gets sent into the lake of fire, eternal punishment. He knows that he, he knows the truth. 
And, and, and when we are actually living out the truth of God in our lives, that's what puts some of the biggest fear in the heart of the devil. And lastly, Paul tells us we have to put on the armor of God, meaning it's not just automatically put on us when we're saved. But we have to consciously put it on ourselves. We have to consciously live by the truth of God. We have to consciously stand on the righteousness of Christ. Consciously live our lives depending on God. Putting our faith in God. We have to fight and, and, and stand on the peace that God gives us. Right? And, and, and not just know the Bible, but start to really live out the Bible in our lives. The sword of the Spirit. The armor of God doesn't just come naturally, but it's something that we have to put on. Just like you put on your clothes this morning to come to church. Just like you put on your shoes this morning to come to church. You have to put these things on in life. And it says, and then Paul says, put on the full armor of God. Like, don't just go out there with just your helmet. Don't just, like, I'm saved. That's, that's all that matters. I have the helmet of salvation. That's good for me. And you're out there, and you're naked, and you're all exposed. And you're like, I'm saved. I'm saved, guys. But there's nothing else. No, you're not standing on the righteousness of God. You don't have any truth in your life. You don't have no, none of the sword of the Spirit. You don't have the shield of faith. You just know, I'm saved. I'm saved by grace. I'm saved. Right? Paul's saying, nah, put on the full armor of God. Some people, it's all about the sword. I know the Bible. I know this. I, I, I got this thing memorized, man. You know, they don't know how much of this sword that I know how to use. Don't, you, don't mess with me. But you got no armor. You got no truth. You know, you, like, you, have, you, have no, like, you have no faith. All you have is, he says, put on the full armor of God. And when you really have the full armor of God, you're actually a uh, the, the, the for, a formidable uh, enemy of the devil. You're actually a formidable, you, you're actually able to stand against the schemes of the devil, and the devil will flee from you. You have to consciously put it on. And when we place the armor of God on us, Paul tells us what to do when we have the armor on. And what does he tell us to do? How do we battle spiritually? He tells us to what? Pray. How the saints war in the spirit is to pray. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints and also for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He's like, telling us the key of spiritual warfare is after you put on your armor, after you know like the Bible and you're starting to stand on God's righteousness and His faithfulness and His goodness and you're, you're, you have the full armor of God, what does He tell us? He says, pray. Warfare. We warfare with prayer and intercessions. But we pray with our armor on. And Paul is saying that if you have this armor on, he tells us the Ephesians, dude, if you have this armor on you, I want you to pray for me. Like, pray for me. Because Paul knows that the, the prayers of the righteous are, are powerful and effective. He knows that if there's Ephesians out there with this armor on, with the armor of God on, and they're walking right with God, and they're doing what they're supposed to do when they're praying, those power prayers are powerful and they're effective. And he knows. He's like, pray for me. Pray for me that I'll be able to preach the gospel well. Because I know that if you have this armor on you, dude, your prayers are going to be powerful. Let me tell you, when you start to really live your life for God, and when you start to really have a place of faith, and you have that, that truth around your waist, and you have the righteousness of Christ that, that is protecting you, and you have your shield, and you have the Word of God, and you have, you have this assurance of salvation that nothing this world can do can snatch you out from, from the hand of God. When you have that on you, and you pray, and you intercede, the prayers that you pray are powerful. They could change the world, guys. And then he tells us, he's like, pray for me. He pray for me because I need it. I need it. We, we, we have to know that, that as we pray, as we warfare, when we, when we fight and when we're called to, to live our lives as Christians, isn't to just work and have kids and have families. The big chunk of our, our, our calling, into, in no matter who you are in Christ, is to pray is to warfare in the spirit for the kingdom of God. Because we have an enemy that is out to destroy us. And, and Paul has been telling us all of these things about who we are in Christ for the first three chapters. 
And then all the things that, we, and now that we know who we are in Christ, how to walk and how to live our lives, and he tells us that we're in a battle. But we are, we're not helpless, we're not hopeless, and we're not defeated, but we have an armor from God that is based on God's power and his might. Right? It says, like, depend on the power of his might, right? The armor of God that he has, has nothing to do with you, has everything with what God has done and the power that he has. And he's here to not just defend ourselves, but to raise war against the enemy. For you guys to live a life that is out to, to, to defeat the devil. It says, like, you know, like capture the, the gates of the enemy. Possess the gates of the enemy. That means when we, when we see things like, like human trafficking, and when we see like these things, these people getting hurt, and, and we, we pray and we intercede. When we see North Korea, and when we see all of the... The, the concentration camps and all the, the oppression that's in that country, when we see all of the, the prostitution and all of the things that are happening in, in Thailand and in these countries where little kids, like four or five years old, are sold into sexual slavery, when we see these things, right, what we need is we have to put on the armor of God and then what? We warfare in the spirit. We pray. And then as we pray and as we start to really pray, God starts to really put conviction in our heart and he starts to shape and mold our lives so that we can be better be used for him. That's how people are, are able to go out into the mission field and live in conditions that, that we are like, what, what the heck? Because they, they know, they've been, they put on this armor, and they've been praying and interceding, and all of a sudden God said, hey, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this calling that's going to take you to, to somewhere, and you're going gonna to shine light into the darkness. And it starts with us putting on this armor. God never called us to a defensive, nominal life in the Lord. God, Jesus didn't hang on the cross so that we can have a, a, a defensive, nominal life where we're just on the surface of Christianity, just going along while we're trying to do everything that we can to make money and, and, and have this, like, this, this great American life. And all of a sudden, right, so many things in the world are going wrong. God calls us to a place where we take up our armor and we know our identity. And we know the weapons that God has given us, and we warfare in the spirit. We pray, we intercede. And we, when we when we do what Jesus said, as we as I end this, Jesus said in the, in the prayer that He taught us, He said, "Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it in heaven, it is in heaven." And we have to pray that that God's kingdom that is in heaven starts to get established upon this earth. Let's all stand up. Let's close. With